And you may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Well, Linnell and I are going to be taking an early uh, summer vacation this year. Actually, she's preaching next week on Mother's Day. She's letting me slip off a little early. But my oldest daughter, uh, youngest daughter, Rebecca, is home from college. Honey, let me embarrass you. Would you stand up, please? Uh, she Turn around. I know, I know. She gets the looks from my side of the family. I appreciate that. But anyway, very godly and very, very proud of her. Uh, maybe a straight-A student there. Find out tomorrow. No pressure, babe. Anyway, I was thinking, before we went on vacation, I was thinking what an honor it is to be your pastors. You know, we serve on a great pastoral team. It's not all about me. We have godly elders and board members and staff pastors. But we've been here 29 years. And yesterday, as we were doing some demo work in the Gander Mountain, 15 or so people there just made me proud watching people preparing a house of God for coming generations. I come back to church, and I oftentimes on, on Sunday or Saturday evenings, I see Victor, and he's getting ready for over 10 years. They've been feeding the homeless people in the homeless shelter. I get here at 4.30 on Saturday, and there's a dozen, 15 people here on the worship team that are preparing a place for God to come. Listen, I'm, it's an honor to be a part of a church. They're going, 28 people are going to Africa. Now, that can't be cheap. It takes a couple of weeks to go and all, and they're doing fundraisers and everything, and people support it. It is just an honor and a pleasure to be a part of a church of people that genuinely love the Lord. And I just want to give you a hand and thank the Lord. Give him a hand today because he's worthy of praise. I, I'm doing a series called Supernatural. The byline is experiencing the power and presence of God in everyday life. The Bible is filled with supernatural stories, accounts, uh, interventions of God. And I want to begin with a, a video today. It's, uh, it's about what people believe was an angelic encounter in a car accident. Uh, it was done by CBN, which I consider one of the most reputable Christian uh, news uh, outlets that we have. And I want you to take a peek at this, and I want you to think again with me about supernatural intervention of God. Take a peek. Four lives intersected on Highway 6 in Crawford, Texas that day. Sherry and Cody Clemens, Lisa Bowden, and Anthony Russo all met in the midst of tragedy. But all say they had a supernatural encounter on that rain-slicked road that changed their lives forever. Lisa's SUV slid into the path of Anthony's oncoming car. The impact flipped Lisa's SUV multiple times, crushing Anthony's car. Both drivers were trapped. Lisa began to pray. I just remember saying, God help me. And it seemed like when I had that peace come over me that everything was gonna be okay um, is when Sherry showed up. Sherry and Cody Clemens saw the wrecked vehicles and raced to help. Sherry called 911. Then she cried out to God for a miracle. I could just feel this, the gift of faith stirring inside of my chest that nobody is going to die here today. Nobody, I'm not gonna watch anybody die. God is going to show up. The roof had been crushed and there was not much room, maybe, maybe less than eight inches or, or for her to get through. When I reached out, we grabbed each other's hands. There was another set of hands that grabbed our hands. God sent an angel to pull Lisa out of that car. And I saw this bright white light. And then I saw these hands reach past me where there was no room. And they grabbed a hold of Cody's hands and Lisa's hands. 
and all of a sudden it was like, boop. Cody and Lisa were on the grass next to me. It could only be God's angels pulling me through there. Well, eight inch hole, very large woman, can't get through but somehow gets through. Is it possible that angels are in the world today? Well, I believe it not because of a video. I believe it because the Bible says this in Hebrews 1.14. It asks the question, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the Bible literally teaches that demons are real. It teaches that angels are real. And all this is in the supernatural realm. Uh, I'm going to explore this. I'm not talking about angels, but I, I want to begin with my text uh, today, Ephesians 3.20. It's the text for the series, and it's a doxology in the midst of Paul's epistle. He says, Now to him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power or the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, to him be the glory. Another translation says, With God's power working in us, say this with me, God can do much, much more than anything we ask or imagine. Well, this much, much more, this intervention is indeed supernatural. Uh, the supernatural can be dramatic. It doesn't have to be. Uh, the supernatural doesn't have to be Moses opening uh, the Red Sea. The supernatural can be an answered prayer. The supernatural can be you are, are asking God, you're praying about what to do to make a decision. And you have this sense of the peace of God. How I many know that is supernatural? Well, in the series, I'm not teaching a formula that if you'll do A, B, and C, you're going to get D. But we're exploring Bible stories, biblical accounts. We're looking for transferable principles. What were doing when supernatural events occurred? What lifestyle were they living? Can we pattern our lives after this? And hopefully your faith will be inspired too. So I've entitled the message, Help is on the Way. And I'm going to look at two passages, a New Testament and an Old. In the New Testament, we'll look at Paul in prison. We alluded to it last week. I'm going to go deeper today. And then we'll talk about a woman in the Old Testament in the book of Kings from simply a town called Shunem. And her little boy died. So let's explore it today. We're talking about God's intervention in crisis and trouble. Acts chapter 16. Now I want you to... When you read the Bible, you need to read in context. Verses are not there arbitrarily. Books are not there arbitrarily. I don't know how, I first have to understand what it meant to the people it was written to before I apply it to my life. And one way to do that is when we look at a passage, we want to understand the broader picture. Well, the broader picture of Paul's life, Paul is a man on a mission. And by that I mean he's serving the Lord as a way of life. He's reaching people as a way of life. And this passage is just one more step in his journey. Uh, one day, Paul says, as we're going down to the place of prayer, he's going to meet other believers, perhaps by the river. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Now, for us to talk and teach that there are, 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 are angels or there is God's supernatural intervention, we've got to give to as well that there is demonic opposition. There is demonic forces, demonic forces that are at work. And in this case, this girl somehow had a supernatural ability to predict the future. It was obviously real. People were paying for it. And Paul, verse 18, said to the demon within her. 
Now, how many know demon-filled people don't have to look like the exorcist if you're that old? The only horror movie I ever saw in my life scared me so much I slept under the covers when I was 18 for a while. Sorry. Anyway, this gal, uh, he commanded, see, Paul said to the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And instantly it left. They didn't hold her down. They didn't do incantations. They didn't pressure her. It was something supernatural with the power of his words. But verse 19, the master's hope of wealth was now shattered. Just like women that are enslaved in sex trafficking today or young boys that are enslaved. It's happening everywhere today. It's for money. But they wouldn't, couldn't make any money off of her because she couldn't predict. They grabbed Paul and Silas. They dragged them before the authorities. They're severely beaten and thrown in prison. Now, how would you feel if that happened to you? I mean, all you're out doing is helping people. He helped this girl. They're telling other people about a loving God. But there's opposition. Obviously, it's demonic opposition, but they're thrown in prison. So here's where the story gets interesting. The prison is the crisis, but the way out is what they did. Here's where we can learn something. And we're going to endeavor to, uh, if you've ever gone to Murfreesboro and looked for diamonds, I mean, no, you know you take a shovel, you scratch around, you're looking. It's, it, you see something, and that's not it, but you find the potential. This is what we're doing in the Bible today. Two lengthy stories. We're trying to find some diamonds that are hidden in there that we can apply to us. Uh, around midnight, and you'll glean something from this, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying. Yeah, praying and worshiping. But a third thing... Prisoners were listening. There was Christian content in what they were doing. They were not cursing. Uh, they were not cursing. They were, they were praising. Suddenly, and here's this. Now, this is very dramatic. There's a massive earthquake, earthquake. The prison was shaken to its foundations. It didn't fall down. If you can imagine an archaic prison, it didn't fall. But the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. It's like there was a supernatural key in the lock fell off. You say, well, that's impossible. No, it's humanly impossible. But how many know lots of things are possible to those that believe? God is the one that created the laws of physics. God is the one that created laws whereby the earth operates and he can suspend those laws. The jailer now runs to the dungeon where they are, falls trembling before Paul and Silas and says this incredible thing. Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. In other words, how do I become a Christian? Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved and your household. And then he and everyone and his whole family were immediately baptized. How can that happen? How could you start out in prison having been beaten, no neosporin, no bandages on your back, no ACLU demanding for fair treatment. You're hurting, you're in a place you don't want to be. God shows up. And after God shows up, people are saved. Let's dig a little deeper in this. This was dramatic, now, arguably, that Paul got out of prison. But again, I want to suggest to you that in your everyday life, God's supernatural intervention doesn't have to be this dramatic. I mean, if you lose your job and you start praying for another job, you may look on the internet, you may call someone, you may go to the unemployment office, but how many of you got your job? It may not be just because you hustled. It could be because God opened a door. That's, that's supernatural. Uh, it, it, these things happen all that. Maybe you have a, a serious health diagnosis. You go to the doctor, you have a test, 
It doesn't look good. Uh, she sends you to a specialist, and uh, they, they, they do more tests and scratch their head and say, well, we don't know what happened, but we don't see the same thing. Maybe it was an abnormality in the test. Uh, we don't know exactly what it was. Well, maybe it was in, in the test. Maybe, you know, you moved or something like that, but also maybe it was God. All we know is we were sick and now we're better. So these are the kind of interventions we're talking about. Now, let's kind of step back to the story of Paul. And I want to find three diamonds in here, three principles that we can begin to apply in our life. And here's the first one. Paul had what I call a kingdom mentality. By that, I mean his main goal in life was to reach as many people as he could for Jesus. We know this because he's on a mission when it starts. He's going to pray. He's, he's spreading the gospel. He gets in jail. He's praying and singing. And somehow people know that he's a Christian. People come to Christ. Uh, he wrote these words later in Corinthians. Paul said, even though I'm a free man, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. It's almost like saying... When I'm standing in line at Walmart, I'm wondering if, uh, if I can, you know, reach these people, if I can do something to foster their relationship with God. Uh, I had to go out on our park yesterday, out here the kids' park for something. Uh, some people were having a birthday party. I didn't think they went to the church. But before you know it, I'm shaking their hands. I'm telling them they're welcome. I'm telling them they can use the bathroom later on when the church opens up. And then I'm handing out church invitation cards. It's like wherever you go, you know, you go to the grocery store. After that, you're in Walmart. The people in line are potential people for prayer. Maybe you see someone and they just look really down and you say, look, I, I don't want to intrude, but you just seem like perhaps you're down, you're, you're, you're way down. Can I pray with you about something? What you're doing is you just live your whole life in such a way as you're looking for God moments. Your job is not just the place you make money. Your job is your platform for Christ. The ball team is not just the place that you try to outscore your buddies and let testosterone flow, but the ball place is a place to get your team praying, come on now, to look for a place of Christian testimony. Well, this was Paul. Uh, and people on a mission from God are valuable to God. When trouble happens, God has a vested interest to help. Because let me say this, it's sad to say, but many, many, many believers are not on a mission from God. They just want to live their life and have fun and go to heaven one day. But there's another type of believer. It's what God wants us to be. We get up every day and we say, Lord, I'm yours. I want my life to make a difference in this world. I am a growing disciple. I'm on a mission from God. And that's the first flow of my life. Because I, listen, if, if I had the capacity to cause supernatural things to happen at will, none of you would ever have a problem. Nobody would ever die. There would never be a financial need. My dad's farm would have perfect weather and grow perfect crops. Are you with me today? But that's not the way the world works. But there are, in the purposes of God, if you are walking in those purposes, there's a flow of the Holy Spirit in your life that God is more prone to help you. Now let's dig a little deeper here. It said Paul was praying and worshiping. I wonder what he was praying i gave you a couple options. Now, if I was in jail like that, I would probably be praying, God help. Get me out of this place. In case you don't know, this is not fun and I don't like being here. But I want to suggest to you, based on the outcome, that Paul had a different outlook. Maybe Paul prayed like this. God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? 
What he was doing, I suggest to you, is he's searching for the will of God in the crisis. And this is what many don't do. Whenever, whenever pain comes, we want to get away from it. Whenever uncomfortable things happen, we want to fix it. But is it possible for a man or a woman on a mission from God in the middle of the trouble to say, you're still God, you're still on the throne. So what do you want to do here? And the outcome was people were coming to Christ. See, what I'm getting at here is Paul was praying the will of God. Now this is super vital because I know many of us have played and prayed in crisis and it didn't happen the way we prayed. First John chapter 4, there's a promise from the Apostle John. He said, if we ask anything according to... Yeah, if you ask anything according to God's will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request we asked of Him. In other words, the Bible teaches very clearly, if you ask according to the will of God, God's going to hear and He's going to answer in His time. It might be a timing issue, but you cannot just quit praying when it doesn't happen. Don't have a pity party. God's will is key, but here's a big question. You say, okay, preacher, I got you on that one, but how do I know God's will? How do I know God's will when I'm in trouble or difficulty? Let me help you with this. There's a word called discernment. And I want you to listen to these two verses. They're in my notes. It's online. Uh, Acts 15 says this. The Jerusalem Council is trying to make a decision about how Gentiles should integrate in the Jewish church. But listen to what it said. After their conversation among themselves, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Not to lay a greater burden on them than this. I want you to look at that phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How many know us, apart from the Holy Spirit, may not have God's mind? But what it says is they somehow, mm, I don't know what word to use, discerned, figured out, were able to come to an understanding of what God's will was. Hebrews 5.14, it adds to this thought. Solid, it's contrasting mature and immature believers Solid food is for mature believers who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. In other words, you and I as Christians to learn to distinguish from good and evil. In other words, the longer I walk with God, deliberately seeking His will to please Him, it's like sharpening a knife. How many have ever cut a tomato on a knife and it just splattered? But if you cut a tomato with a sharp knife, well, how many know your knife can be dull and get to sharp if you pull out a stone, if you pull out the steel, or if you get a sharpening thing and you put it in it? But what I want to suggest to you, just like running that knife across the steel, it represents days of you walking with God, seasons of your life, months of your life, to where when you get in something, then you're able to know what God's will is, and then you pray it until it's proper conclusion. I suggest Paul was praying this way. Let me give you a third principle. It's about worship, because not only was he praying, he was worshiping. Usually we think of praise and worship as what we do when we're happy. Oh, God, you're good, and I can't sing, but I'm doing the best I can. But there's worship in crisis that's different. Worship in Christ. Because, listen, some of, some, of our, some of our struggles have spiritual components. Sometimes the devil is out to get you. And, and the devil doesn't care if you shout at him. But if you get in your prayer closet in the middle of your crisis, 
close your eyes and just lift your hands to heaven and say, God, I'm so glad I'm in your hand. I'm so glad, Lord, that you said you'd never leave me and you'd never forsake me. I'm so glad that I can do all things through Christ. I'm so glad that I can seek first the kingdom and you'll take care of me. And it's just like you're lifting and something is happening. The best scripture in the Bible that brings us to a forefront in our battles with trouble and the power of worship is 2 Chronicles 20. The Jewish people are under attack and overwhelming odds, but they have prayed about it and a prophecy came forth that basically said, God's going to help you. You're not even going to have to fight. You just go out to the battle. And listen to what the verse says, 2 Chronicles 20, 21. King Jehoshaphat appointed singers. What do singers do? They sing, they praise. Walk ahead of the army. What do armies do? fight. They've got swords and shields and spears and arrows and all these guys have are tambourines. But they got, I wish tambourines would come back into the church. I used to have one and they took it away from me because I didn't have rhythm. I think I'm offended. I'm a victim. No, I was smart enough to know I didn't have rhythm. I knew that when I couldn't dance as a teenager. So just life. They sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And notice what it says. At the moment they began to sing. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. So what does that mean? You've got these hairy gorillas on the bad guys, and they're walking out to fight, and all of a sudden one accidentally steps on another one's toe. And he looks at him and said, hey, stupid, get off my foot. And the guy said, I'm not stupid. Get your big foot out of my way. And then the guy makes a mistake. If your mama would have had a boy with littler feet, I wouldn't have stepped on you. <laughs> and then his cousin, and before you know it, they killed each other. That's what it says now. Not exactly all the foot stuff, but <laughs> something supernatural happened. And praise released it. What am I getting at? Praise is a container of faith, and it's an invitation for God to intervene. Listen to me now. Sometimes you can sing your way out of trouble. Now, you may not be in a crisis, but I guarantee you, one day you'll be in a place where you cannot solve it. One day you'll be like Pastor Travis has been for two and a half years, having to do dialysis, because the prayer, come on now, the prayers for two and a half years hadn't made it go away, He's hoping, why is this happening? I don't know. What. Sooner or later, you will have something in your life. Sooner or later, financial pressures will assail you. Sooner or later, marriage problems will assail you. Sooner or later, your kid could go crazy. And I'm not trying to speak negative things over you. I'm just saying, you live in a world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen. Satan will get after you. You start living for God in particular. Weren't you proud of these kids that you saw praying on the screen and getting baptized? But don't you know Satan will try to pull them in? He'll try to get them to be immoral. He'll try to pull them off the pathway. We had a 7th or 8th grader that was involved in the praise team last night. Opposition is going to come. But when it comes, friend, you're going to need the supernatural in your life. You're going to need to know how to pray the will of God. You're going to need to know the place of worship. And you're going to need to be a man or woman on a mission from God. So God is motivated to help. Tell your neighbor he's preaching better than I've been amening. That is for sure. Now let's go to the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 4. 
And all we know is it's a woman from Shunem. Uh, let's talk about help in her crisis. Now, about halfway through the story, we're going to see that her son dies. But what I want you to do is go with me as we paint the picture of what her life was like before the crisis. Because the way that I'm living today could determine whether or not God intervenes tomorrow. Second Kings chapter 4, Elisha was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was representing the move of God. Elisha went to the town of Shunem and a wealthy woman lived there. And the question to ask right now, what was she doing with her wealth? Was she spending it all on herself or was part of it being channeled into the kingdom of God? Notice now, a woman lived there and she urged Elisha to come and have a meal at her home. After that, whenever he passed that way, he'd stop there with something to eat. And then she said to her husband, hey, give me your visa card. I, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and let's furnish it. And then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Does it sound like that gal's getting committed? She's spending money, not once, but several times. Now she's building a room on her house. She probably loves that. Probably like my wife watches those, those uh, uh, fixer-upper fixer channels and all that. And I mean, you know, they're going to. So, so she probably got to remodel her whole house when she built Elisha's. That's kind of <laughs> what I'm thinking. No, but on a serious note, I want you to see Elisha represented the presence and the move of God on the earth. And she was investing her life in it. She was tangibly investing in it. Well, look at verse 13 now. Elisha said to his servant Gehazi, well, we, we appreciate your kind concern. What can we do for you? Well, her first response was nothing. And then Gehazi said, well, she doesn't have a son. And this man, he made a declaration, a, prof a prophecy. At this time, the following year, you're going to have a son, just Elijah said. And she had a baby. How about it? Anybody, everybody say miracle. Yeah. Now, we're not looking at Elisha. We're looking at this woman because here's where the story is going to turn in just a moment. Let's pick up a principle here or a diamond or two from this woman. She also had a kingdom mentality, which means she invested her resources to advance God's kingdom, and God in turn met a desire in her heart. Doesn't the Bible say in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and God will give you the desires of your heart? Another translation says, enjoy serving the Lord and he'll give you what you want. Now that doesn't mean that we serve the Lord to get things. Come on, big amen. But what it does mean, we serve the Lord because they love Him. And then because of that, God will oftentimes bless us with reward for faithful service. How many have experienced that? Yeah, I experienced it just this past weekend. Uh, I, I love to turkey hunt, one of the favorite things that I do. I, it was a friend of mine that I'd known for 25 years and just had never asked him. But he had a ranch in Oklahoma. I asked if I could go. He said, sure, bring your family and uh, stay in my cabin. And we had a beautiful cabin, had one of the most memorable hunts with my son. Uh, the grandson came. We had big fun with little Henry. I mean, it was, just, it was just wonderful. Well, it was not because of my cunning to ask the right way. It was just because of the kindness of God. Because we do our best to serve the Lord as a way of life. Now, if you've turned me off, I want you to turn me back on just a second. Unbeknown to her, she was buying an insurance policy for a future need. When she helped Elisha, she was really helping herself one day. And if you will make yourself valuable to God, 
if we will make our church valuable to God, God seems extra motivated to help us in time of our need. We're getting ready to do Gander Mountain. It's going to cost a lot more money than we have. Well, guess what we've done in the last three weeks? We gave $4,000 to a church in northern Arkansas, a sister church that was expanding. We gave $5,000 to a church in New Boston, and we gave $10,000 towards our church in Nashville for their building programs. You say, why didn't you just use it on ours? We need it. I know we do, but if we just kept it, it wouldn't be enough. We need more than that. We want to be valuable to God. Are you with me today? See, we don't just tell you to do something and we don't do it. We do it too because we believe in the principles. And, and here's another one. God rewards generosity with blessings money can't buy. Now, the Bible teaches in the New Testament you reap as you sow in your financial world, certainly. But, but there's going to be some things that money couldn't buy you. We're going to find that her boy is going to die. And she could have piled $100 bills around that boy and that wouldn't have helped him at all. Let's read now verse 18. Here's where the crisis happens. All this is background. It's the way she's living. When the child was older, let's just imagine 10 or 12. I don't want you to think of your kids, 10 or 12. He went out to help his father and he said, my head hurts. And his father said, carry him home to his mother. And the servant took him home. Mom held him on her lap. You know that, ladies. And around noontime, he died. Brain aneurysm, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a physician. But something happened to a young child and he died virtually instantly. Now, I want you to see these next few things. She laid him on the bed of the man of God. Where was his bed? Upstairs. She didn't have to Google the last hotel he stayed in when he was in Texarkana. She already had relationship. She leaves this dead boy there, and in her grief, she sends a message to her husband and said, Hey, get one of the servants and a donkey so I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. And the husband, he is so brilliant here, he has no clue. Why go today? It's not a new moon, Jewish festival, or a Sabbath. But she said what? I want everybody to say that. It'll be all right. I want you to think of that 10-year-old baby, that little boy, laying on that bed. It will be all right. Elisha saw her in the distance, and he said to Gehazi, Run out and meet her and ask her if everything's all right with you, your husband, and your child. And she said... Yes, everything is fine. Now, if somebody was talking like that to you, you would think, get them to their primary care physician and get them some Xanax. Get them to the doctor. They need some kind of sedative because they're in mass denial. You know, there's more. How could she say it'll be all right and everything is fine? It's a very simple answer. She had faith that God would intervene in her crisis. Faith has the potential to release the supernatural. Now, let me say two things to you. I am like many of you. I have prayed and believed God to do some things in my life, and they didn't happen. And it was like it withered my faith. It's hard to keep faith alive if you've tried before and it didn't work. Faith is like this. Faith is not like, if your kids go to the grocery store or restaurant and there's a little machine with candy, what do they say? Give me a quarter, give me a quarter. And you give them the quarter, they turn the knob and out comes the whatever. Faith is not like that. 
Faith is more like a drawbridge. Think of the old castle in the moat, you know, over the crocodiles. Somebody can't come in the castle unless the moat is down. But when the moat is down, it, it, you're not forcing them to come. You're just inviting God to come. But if you don't put down the, mo- the, the, the drawbridge of faith, God well may not come. Because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please Him. She had, Listen to what Jesus said about this. Now this is just remarkable. Mark eleven thirteen. Jesus saw a fig tree. Went to find out if it had fruit on it. It had nothing but leaves. And He did the strangest thing. He spoke to a tree. And he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. In the morning, they get up, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Now Jesus is taking that experience and he's going to teach them something. I want you to listen as a follower of Christ. The first thing out of his mouth was what? Have Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, If anyone says to the mountain, now this is a hyperbole, it's an exaggeration. But if you look at that tall mountain and you tell it, throw yourself into the sea and you don't doubt in your heart, doubt is like water to a fire, but believes what you say will happen. I want to suggest to you if this is in the context of His will. Our prayers, our declarations function like a railroad track with two rails. One rail is the leading of God. The other rail is a passive rail that we ride on, but it always goes in parallel. And I think much of our disappointment comes because we tried to speak to mountains that God wasn't ready to move. God could have healed Pastor Travis two and a half years ago. He got on an airplane, flew to a church in California that had a reputation of having a healing ministry, but he's still on dialysis. One day he'll understand it, but here's what I tell him. I said, Travis, I don't know why you are where you are, but I can tell you this, it is making you a better man of God. You are able to identify with with people's hurts. You will be more empathetic than you have ever been in your life, and you will understand more about faith than you've ever had in your life because faith is not only for receiving, but it's for enduring. There's a life lesson in all these things because God is still in control. God hadn't forgot Pastor Travis. Come on now. He hadn't abandoned him. Maybe the work of the miracle is in the person just volunteering and having, oh, how lucky he was that somebody had the right antibodies and everybody's a match. You can live your life that way. I'm going to believe in the provision of God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But if you say to the mountain, throw yourself into the sea and don't doubt but believe what you say will happen, it'll be done for them. Therefore, Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received. Past tense. Believe it's mine before it's in my hand. Faith calls that which is not as though it is. Romans 4. I saw this. The most dramatic example I've seen of this was probably 10 years or so ago. It was a buddy of mine, a friend of mine, a pastoring in, in, I think, Wilton, a little north of Ashdown. And uh, he was in a car accident. They rushed him to the hospital, and he's paralyzed from the neck down. And days and weeks ahead, they realize he has spinal cord damage. And uh, they're preparing his wife and they're saying, he's never going to walk again. He's not going to be able to function as he has. And she said, I don't receive that. My husband is going to walk one day. My husband is not going to be bound to a wheelchair. Now, once again, our modern thinking is, our secular thinking is, give that woman a Xanax. And listen, I'm for Xanax at the right time. Don't get me wrong. 
But, but, but she wouldn't let anybody pour water on her fire. She wouldn't let you be around him and talk like that. And I'm telling you, that man is not in a wheelchair today. I'm telling you, I have, ne- I have never seen faith. Li- that was the first time that I had seen faith like that that changed something impossible. Now let's keep going. Verse 27 and we'll wrap it up. When she came to the man of God, again, the mom finds Elisha. She falls on the ground and caught him hold of his feet. And she said, as surely as the Lord lives. Now, you know, it's interesting. How do you find somebody when they don't have telephones, when they don't have GPS, you know, locate me, find my phone? How do you find people when they don't have any form of communication? Maybe she knew where he was. Maybe because she had such a relationship with him the last time she ate, she said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to so-and-so. And she knew how to find him. And I'm making a point with this. She found him. And as surely as the Lord lives, I'm not going home unless you go with me. And Elisha arrived, the child was dead, laying on the prophet's bed. Now I'm going to read what the prophet did, but the lesson today is about the woman. He went in alone, some would say to shut out unbelief. And he prayed, I would say, to determine and discern the will of God. Because how many know just because the woman wanted a child doesn't mean she's going to get this child back. He prayed, and the Lord instructed him, he laid down on the child's body stretched out on him. The Bible says nose to nose, mouth to mouth. And he had to do it two times. But the child's body on the second time began to grow warm. In verse 35, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And then Elisha said, call the child's mother. He said, here, take your son. Now, how many believe the Bible is God's word? How many believe the Bible is true? How many believe God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us? Is it just possible that our faith, our experience with God, our learning the will of God can begin to release supernatural things in our life today? This is what I'm trying to encourage you and teach you today. Now, the facts of a crisis don't have to have the last say. The last word belongs to the supernatural God we serve. And I don't care whether it's your marriage, your finances, or your health. God is God. Let me give you the last principle. I'm going to say this. Call Elisha. If you need the supernatural in your life, call Elisha. You say, what What I mean, thank you, is the prayers and ministry of spiritually mature friends can mean the difference between life and death. Let me say it again. The prayers of Elisha. God used to bring the supernatural. It could be that God wants you and I to have people in our life like that today. So that if a crisis happens tomorrow, we don't have to find them on Google or send out a mass Facebook post. But we go to those men and women. Sometimes our faith is not strong enough to move the mountain. Sometimes we are not strong enough to win the spiritual battle we're fighting. We need the faith and wisdom of other believers. And Jesus even said, and I'll close with this scripture, Jesus said in Matthew 18, I tell you, if two of you would agree on earth about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand to your feet today? And I, I want to close this way. I, I, I'm going to ask us to have a little prayer time. And in this prayer time, I'm going to just review those principles for you. 
And I want you to reach out to God every time I read one. And I want you to say, Lord, I want that to be in my life. And then we're going to close with the prayer time. But just close your eyes just a moment. And I want you to just think just a moment about what Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower. Forget about Cracker Barrel just a minute. Forget about your kids. The next moment could determine something about your future. Remember in the parable of the sower when Jesus said, The seed is the word of God, and some seed falls on the pathway, and the birds of the air gobble it up. And they asked Jesus, what did that mean? And Jesus said, when the word of God goes forth, sometimes demonic powers, Satan himself devours the word and makes it meaningless. Maybe you've listened to me. Do nothing but read the Bible for 40 minutes. But the thought that is prevailing in your mind, like the icing on the cake is, well, that was a long time ago. That's the Old Testament. God doesn't do that anymore. I prayed for somebody like that and it didn't happen. Can I tell you, the devil is trying to steal your faith in that. Don't let him do it. Because you don't, you, you don't have enough money for some crises. You cannot find the greatest doctor at the Mayo Clinic for some crises. Some crises in life, only God. And I want to be in position... Now, you just pray over yourself as I go through these. Paul had a kingdom mentality. He was valuable to God. His main goal in life was to reach as many people as he could for Jesus. I want you to just pray and ask the Lord, Lord, let my life become that valuable. Paul would lead somebody to Jesus going to a prayer meeting, and then he'd turn around and lead somebody to Jesus in prison. Lord, help me to have that kind of conviction and passion for what's important to you. The second one, prayer can release supernatural intervention. It is praying the will of God. And this is hard for me, friends. It's hard for me because I'm on, I want to be the second parallel railroad track. But it's hard to know sometimes what God's will is. But I want to ask the question. I don't want to just be in my prison and say, God, get me out. Lord, I want to seek you and say, Lord, what are you doing so I'll know what to do? The third principle, you pray this for your life. Worship creates an environment for God to move supernaturally. See yourself going to your prayer closet right now with your hands lifted to God, thanking Him in the middle of the crisis, praising Him because your life is hidden with God in Christ. Praising Him because you can do all things through Christ. Worship is an antidote to spiritual attack. Let's go to the woman of Shunem for a moment. She too had a kingdom mentality. She was continually investing her resources to advance God's kingdom. And then God blessed her with the desire of her heart. I want you to pray that you have and I have that generous a heart. Sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's a lot. But I want to have the good sense to know that my giving in God's kingdom is like buying an insurance policy for the day that I need it. God rewards generosity with blessings money can't buy. Just tell the Lord, I'm not interested in more stuff. I'm interested in your hand, God, in my life. 
Faith can release supernatural intervention. I want you to think of faith a moment like you're getting in your car and you turn the key one time and it wouldn't start. You don't get out and throw the key on the ground and walk away mad. You hit it again. And maybe if it's an old enough vehicle or even if it's a, a motor, you might even pull the choke out and go a third time. You're going to keep at it because you have faith that that engine's going to start. Now I'm going to ask you if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I, I've had a crisis with faith before. I, I prayed every way I knew how to pray. I fasted. I sought God. And there was something that was very important to me and it didn't happen. And since that time, I have lost that childlike faith to believe again. But I want it to come back. If that's you, just slip up your hand right now. I've lost my faith. I've believed before for things, but I want it to come back. Just right where you are. Nobody's business. Just lift up your hand. And just say, Holy Spirit, baptize me with faith again. Give me the gift of miraculous faith that you speak about in the Bible. God, free them right now. Maybe Satan has them bound. Let your liberty come. And here's the last one. It is the prayers and ministry of spiritually mature friends can mean the difference between life and death. If you've got those people determined with God right now, I'm hanging on to them. If you don't have them, make it a point to find them so you don't have to look for people when crisis comes. You just go to those godly people and they'll help see you through. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We'll continue this, Lord willing, next time I'm with you. Now, we're going to close this way. Give me just two minutes before we go. We want to have a, we're going to sing one last song and have a prayer time. If you're here and you need prayer for anything, the altar is open to you. But I want to suggest to you, friends, if you need a miracle in your life, I think faith is a little higher today. If you've been under spiritual attack, let somebody come and pray for you. If you're trying to discern the will of God in some area of your life, let somebody come and pray for you. But the most important prayer we want to pray, listen to me. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I don't know if I died today. I'm not 100% sure that I'd go to heaven, but I want to be. If you're here today and you've been living for yourself, as I did for 19 years, but you're ready for a change. If you're here today and you say, I'm not where I need to be with God. The things of this world have not made me happy. Uh, some of you could have gotten older and your kids are gone and now life has no meaning. Some of you have bought bigger and nicer and newer and better and finally you scratch your head one day and realize I'm still not happy. Some of us go back to the happy bottle or the happy puff or whatever it is. Something's missing. What's missing is God. That if you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that if you will turn your heart to the Christ of the cross, Jesus will change you. You say, how do I do that? Friend, you pray a simple prayer like I and hundreds of people have done today, asking Christ to forgive you and committing your life to follow him. We'd like to pray that prayer with you right now. When they begin to sing, I'm going to encourage you, if you're here, you want to get right with God. Just slip out of your chair and come over to the cross. The reason we ask you to come is because there is power in walking away from something, walking symbolically towards Christ. It'll be the most important step you've ever made. Go ahead and begin to sing right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here if you need a miracle in your life or any type prayer. But most importantly, Pastor, I need to get my life right with God. You slip out of your chair. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for being here. Give us just a moment with this.